0: all right well welcome
1: yeah thanks for having me over
0: yeah yeah well you know i'm always i'm always down for a glass of whiskey in the evening
1: yeah, we got to drown our sorrows of some of those Iowa fans out there that uh, <laughs> got hosed a little bit on that uh, call in the last couple of minutes. But uh, what, what happened? Should, uh, he, they say the ref saw he, the guy, the punt return was being called as a fair catch, but um, he really wasn't calling for a fair catch, and he ran into the end zone, and they would have won. But they reversed it and said he would called for a fair catch. So the Hawks lost to Minnesota.
0: So we had a lot of uh, upset Hawk fa- Hawks fans today.
1: Yeah, I'm a Jayhawk though, and they were off today, so so we're good.
0: So you have um, you have a fundraiser coming up Tuesday.
1: I do on Tuesday night, uh, five thirty over at the Food Depot in Grimes, um, my district. I'm Dan Gelbach, uh, House Representative for House District 46, and we cover. Uh, Urbendale, which is not quite Oliver's uh, district, um, a few hundred yards away, but um, we go all the way up to Granger and Woodward and Grimes, and the only place to have a fundraiser really is in Grimes, uh, so the Food Depot has a great back room. We're going to be there at 530. We're going to have Senator Jack Whitfer, who's our senator, my senator, and uh, Iowans for Tax Relief President Chris Hagenow, who's also a neighbor of mine and our my former rep. He's a former former majority leader of the Iowa House and uh, works for items for tax relief now. So we're going to talk a little bit of history about taxes in Iowa, but it's not that boring, I tr- trust me. Um, Jack and Chris are, are good friends and go back a long way. Um, they can get a little history of uh, where they came from. They both came into the legislature in the minority. Jack was in the minority in the Senate, and they've seen kind of what uh, what can happen over um, a series of years when you get a majority and you start implementing conservative Policies, including tax policy, what you can do with the economy and grow the economy in Iowa, and now with the trifecta, there's never been a better time to be a legislator in the state of Iowa. And so, as a freshman, I've sort of rode their coattails, and so giving them a chance to to tell the story about where we've come from and where we're going for next session. Preview a little bit and uh, just have a good time and raise some uh, money. I think I uh, want to hopefully scare anybody off that's going to be run against me um, <laughs> next time. Um, but uh, we want to, um, yeah, have a, have a good time and celebrate officially kick off the campaign for 2024
0: yes and if you don't know dan he's the most accessible representative on the planet uh he'll return your calls he'll return your emails and you worked really hard this last session especially for you know school choice um the parental rights bill et cetera. you want to tell us a little bit about that
1: yeah. I'll just give a shout out to my uh, housemate, Eddie Andrews, because I think he's the hardest working legislator out there and, um, and accessible too. I got to keep up with Eddie. So I try my best. Um, so I appreciate the the, the words of uh, confidence there. But yeah, we um, as a freshman, I wanted to make sure the person that was pushing those buttons down there at the house was the person that I could trust to uh, make the right decisions and my background being in education. And, and if, you, if people have heard my story, uh, my kids are now in uh, Christian education at Des Moines Christian. And I really was passionate about the school choice um, being passed, and that didn't pass in 20, 2022. And so I wanted to make sure the person pushing those buttons down there had the right background and knowledge to do that. And so I had to run myself to do that. And uh, that was one of the first votes we got to do. So I like to say this as a joke. you know, That was the first policy vote we got to vote on after voting on some rules. And I could just do the mic drop after that and leave because my work was done. But we actually got a lot more done during session after that.
0: So is that really the one of the main reasons you ran, was for school choice?
1: Yeah, education in general. And um, uh, my business, my this, the legislature is just my part-time job. What I do in real life is uh, I run the Mathnasium Learning Center over by Jordan Creek Mall. And so I've worked with education. Uh, we've been there for the last 13 years. Uh, my wife's a teacher, and she's um, a substitute teacher now. That was really one of my main focuses was um getting in there, making sure school choice passed, but also fixing some of the the cultural things that we really want to see. We're not against public education. I was on the Waukee school board. I really appreciate what public schools do. We're not trying to take money from them. The whole pie is growing. And if tax dollars in Iowa are meant to educate Iowa kids, we've put a lot more money into educating Iowa's kids through the ESA program. Um, But we also did a lot of things like with the, Senate File 496, which you've talked a lot about on your podcasts and, and YouTube videos, where we um, did a lot of things in one bill. Um, we protected students that wanted to transition, made sure that parents were involved in that decision. We protected K through uh, K through six to make sure we weren't talking about those sensitive issues in uh, K through six regarding gender tra- gender identity and sexual orientation. We also did. Uh, a book bill to make sure uh, sexually explicit pornographic books weren't available for students in the library. They're not banned. You can still buy the books and and see those books anywhere you want to buy them on the internet or in your own home. But we don't think those are appropriate for the school setting. How does the Republican party do better
0: at promoting those ideas? I mean, because it's not book banning and like you said, it's just um, age appropriate material making sure there's not pornographic material. But you see from this this liberal side or the left side or whatever you want to call it, they're really promoting that there's book banning going on. I even, you know, I went to the half-price bookstore one day and there was a petition on the door that you could scan with a QR code to sign this petition to prevent book banning in Iowa. Do you think there's a way that we can... I mean, because anytime somebody actually reads the bill or sees the books that that are in question they're like oh no we don't we don't want to we don't want our kids seeing that stuff but that's not what's being promoted in the media how do we how do we work on that how do we combat that
1: yeah good question i I think it's just a lot of education for parents and just um, when you're talking to someone one-on-one just really to give them those examples we had a parent read out of a book at the Waukee school board meeting in that YouTube video. You can't find anymore. Cause it's not appropriate to be on YouTube because it's explicit and graphic and um, not meant for children. Um, we also had the cam when we were running that um, we had a house oversight committee on these books and we had um, one of the news channels said they couldn't show those pictures because they couldn't show them on the 10 o'clock news. So when people see this stuff, they're not for it. And so um, once you get in front of people and they see what's actually in these books um, it's not, against any sort of group or identity it's just really we don't want kids exposed to sexual orientation and those kind of things sexual explicit things in their books at school and so i think this is an education piece um there's you know a lot of grassroots efforts to get the word out through um, groups like moms for liberty who get a bad rap and um they say they're um, a hate group and they're they have all this dark money and that's not the case at all they're just a bunch of concerned parents and i think that's what I saw when I was on the school board, and that's what I see with parents that are coming down to the Capitol every <clears throat> day to lobby us as legislators to say this is not right. We want to see change. Um, and really, when you talk to school administrators, I met with a, a, another school administrator uh, yesterday. Actually, you know, they appreciate having some guidelines now because it is we set the law and they can follow the law, but they can get the teachers back to teaching. They're there to teach. They're not there to do anything else. And they can get back. And it's in some of these districts, a lot of rural districts too. It's not really that big a deal. But there's a few bad actors around the state. There's a few school districts you've probably heard of in the news that are that we have to create these laws for. But I think now that we have these these guidelines set up and these guardrails and, and policies available, obviously school districts are thanking us behind the scenes, saying you know, th- this is going to get us back to what we need to do, and that's really to focus on student achievement, and that's really. What I want to see, what I've been dedicated my personal life to, is just having students achieve better, and, and whether it's in my business in, in math specifically, or in the state in public school or in private school, wherever kids are educated, we want to see student achievement. We don't want to see culture wars. We don't want to see politics in school buildings. We don't want to see sexually explicit materials. We want to see student achievement. And that's the goal of what we're going to be focusing on in the education committee next year in the Iowa House.
0: That's wonderful, and you know we did see it in the rural school districts too. I think. With uh, programs like Second Step, the SEL program, we didn't see near the sexually explicit books. I mean, there were still Mm -hmm. books edifying the hero who was the transgender kid that was, you know, confused about their gender in elementary school. And
1: yeah, I think some of those real school districts you don't see the media attention. Like you don't see the the media attention, although the Waukee, yeah, yeah.
0: Van Meter, we had some media attention. We had the Des Moines Register there. there were parents that were concerned, you know, it was this last year that was the real, they started to see all this stuff coming through in the elementary school. And by day six of school, parents were talking to administrators and they were also talking to, you know, they didn't get anywhere with administrators. So they talked to the school board. And unfortunately, I mean, it was, if you're against curriculum or if you're against educational materials, there were a couple board members that tried to equate that to being against teachers and, and it became this thing that it really wasn't because the parents weren't saying anything about teachers. They were saying, Hey, we don't really approve of this curriculum. We don't approve of our kids being surveyed every day about pronouns and their feelings and everything else, you know, and then having that data collected and, and not knowing, you know, where it can go. So it's, it was wonderful that they eventually put together a petition and had 30% of the, the voters sign it and they still didn't make any great progress, but our legislators and you guys actually, everything in that petition was covered in that omnibus parental rights bill. So they were very thankful that you were working hard on that and got that passed.
1: And I also want to point out that we did pass what was collectively called the teacher empowerment bill because we want to give teachers. We've heard a lot from teachers behind the scenes in some um, closed door settings that don't feel that they're being backed up by the administration. We see a lot of discipline issues in classrooms now, and that's a, been a big thing post-COVID. But we we put a way and a structure in place for uh, for kids to be removed if there being uh, behavioral issues, three-strike um, sort of escalation in and, and, um, it's funny because when you when you run some of those bills in the Iowa legislature at the subcommittees, you get a lot of certain people, certain lobbyists from one side, the teachers unions, the school administrators of Iowa, all kind of line up on one side. And then you have a couple people like family leader and folks like that on one side. Well, when we ran this teacher empowerment bill. Everyone was on the same page. Everyone, even the teachers unions, the, the school administrators, they were all in favor of this bill and doesn't get a lot of media attention, but it's really going to empower teachers to be put back in charge and, and to do what they do best which is teach kids and not have to do all this other stuff like survey kids and to try to be mental health professionals and and do all the things they're, they're not really licensed to do they're licensed to teach our kids and that's really what we want to focus on is um, they're there to teach our kids certain things and certain standards and, and curriculums that are we aligned to those standards without all the the culture war things and you know I send my kids to church and I sent I, I have certain values in my home and my church and when I went to school I felt like those values weren't being imparted on my kids um, in the same way that I wanted them to in my church and my home. And so, so you can also, with the ESA bill, that's an option for, you can send your kids to a school that aligns with your values. But also we want to remember there's public school kids and we want to make sure that they're not being um, taught things they shouldn't be taught in school. So I think we did a lot of good things in the legislature and we're not done yet, but um, it's a a very good starting point and like I said a lot of the administrators are reaching out to us saying you know thank you for putting these guardrails in place because now it gives us a structure and we can get back to do what we do best which is to educate kids yeah and that's
0: so important and if you hear in the background my dog Coco is wandering around normally this setup is in my office but I thought it'd be nice to bring it out into the living room so Dan and I could hang out and have a glass of whiskey and a serious conversation
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not like joe Rogan. we don't have the other accoutrement but no, uh, we have, uh, no um but it's a good saturday night we're hanging out um just uh chatting a little bit of politics yeah
0: no cigars either yeah <laughs> I, don't, I
1: don't i don't do good with cigars anymore i'm getting too old for that
0: your wife said you turn green <laughs> yeah sometimes <laughs> yeah so you know everything that you guys have accomplished is amazing and we had a we have a men's group that meets uh the third thursday of the month and and representative Gelbach and Andrews and Carter Nordrum were there and we talked about everything that's been accomplished over the last few years at the at the State House and it's just pretty amazing what I was doing what Iowa is doing you know other states I, I imagine want to follow suit
1: yeah and we've taken a lot of cues from other states so I mean you don't have to recreate the wheel every time and there's a lot of good healthy competition um, if you um, if you talk with governor Reynolds she's a little bit um salty about some of the stuff um, out of Florida. She wants to, we did school choice before Florida went to universal school choice. And so she wants to make sure people know that um, she was the first one to do universal school choice. And We had states like Arkansas follow suit. Um, but yeah, we've done a lot of good things. Um, we had about half the caucus, well, 20 some of us, uh, almost a third or more of our caucus. Uh, went over to the University of Iowa and got a great tour. And so Carter Nordman, my former representative and sort of a mentor to me, even though he's 25 and almost be my son maybe yeah. but um but he's a he's a great guy and a great um a great uh citizen legislator um but he's in charge of our education appropriations budget uh, committee and he um organized a group of was going to be just the education committee and the budget uh and the education budget committee but we opened it up to everyone we had a great turnout there to um get a tour and talk to the hospital folks and but I also got to hear from President Wilson, who um, there's going to be a regent report coming out here in the next few weeks in December that's going to sort of outline the DEI components uh, that the universities in Iowa, the three regent universities, which are Iowa State, Iowa, and U and I, and what they're they're doing to sort of curb some of the the DEI things that we are seeing. And we'll go from there to see what they come up with. I'm optimistic that we're going to sort of that we're going to be able to reel in some of these things because really the universities are doing some great things. They have great. Programs, great, great hospital, but sort of being covered up by some of this um, DEI stuff that's just getting in the way. And so Carter Norman has really been great on that, and that's another aspect we'll be looking at in the education committee and also on their budget um, subcommittee to to fund the regents' universities.
0: Yeah, that's important. Um, I think it kind of has done the opposite of what it's intended.
1: We for, we're for diversity, but I like uh, the, the term. I was on the Walkie School Board, and we like to use the terms uh, DEI a lot. I like I the term EMC better, which is um so DEI would be diversity, equity, inclusion. I like the term EMC, which is equality, which is equal opportunity, not equal outcome. M for merit, where we promote people and hire people on their merit, not on the color of their skin, and then C for color blindness We don't want to we don't want to have these affirmative action programs where we're just hiring people and promoting people and putting people into groups based on the color of their skin. We want to judge people on their character and on their, their merit, not on some attribute that they come with the melanin in their skin. It doesn't really matter. Um, so I'm optimistic we can get there. There's some good things happening, but, um, like Carter said in our, in our meeting the other day, you know, you have to have 50 for any legislation. You have to have 51, 26 and one. So 51 house members, 26 senators and one governor to sign off on any legislation. And so there's no specific bills yet. We're, we're talking about for that, but there's a budget that gets uh, brought up for that. And there's some other things we're going to look at on the education side. I don't want to spill the beans too much because we have to have some negotiation with the governor and the Senate too. So, um, but we're planning on some good things for next session.
0: Oh man, I was hoping you would spill the beans.
1: Yeah, maybe off air. I can tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. I won't ask then. What, what can you tell us about next session that uh, besides the DEI portion that, that you anticipate you'll be working on?
1: Yeah, I think on the education side, we're going to look at um, just in broad strokes to say, you know, let's get back to basics. Let's have teachers teach what they're licensed to teach, and so that's going to be a big focus. And that I've been dealing with this for years with with standards drive curriculum, curriculum drives reporting to parents and testing. And so I think that's um, sort of the broad brushstrokes we're going to see. Um, the governor has an initiative to increase some teacher pay. I think we're going to you know, early early in the session we're going to be thinking about su- a supplemental state aid number to schools. And then there's some things that didn't get past last session that I'd like to see go through. One of our priorities that I sat on the subcommittee with the representative Henry Stone was uh, alternate teacher licensure, which is a, a program where we can license teachers in an alternate way, where they don't have to go through a whole half year of student teaching. They can have a mentor teacher. They can be hired by a school district and go through a mentor teacher program. So for career and tech ed, for folks that want to teach welding or, or the trades or business, um, they don't have to go through the traditional teacher track. There's an alternate way to do that. And so and we had a lot of pushback on that piece of the bill. However, if you're a, if you're a school principal or a superintendent that's hiring a teacher, we've been hearing that they want more applicants. And so this is just a way to get more applicants. And if you don't want to hire that person that went through an alternate teacher licensure program, then you do not have to hire that person. But we want to provide a pathway for that. And then some minor stuff on the education side, i want to push um some things I'm thinking about. Um, the school calendar, um, and I was not in the legislature back when this all went through, but the, it says the calendar has to be, uh, you can't start school until the 23rd of August. Um, well, the 23rd of August in 2024 is on a Friday. The fair ends on a Sunday. So I'd like to see at least a one-year waiver so we can have schools be able to start on that Wednesday or a Thursday. Uh, Friday's not really an ideal day to start school, so that's something I'll file right away to try to figure out if we can come to a consensus on that. I think what you're going to see, uh, especially led by the Senate and our House Ways and Means Committee, is a push to even ramp up the income tax um, cuts. So right now we're at 3.9% flat tax. Back in 2022, before I was in the legislature, they passed a 3.9% flat tax for income taxes in Iowa. And I think you're going to see a push to lower that even faster and further. The governor wants to get to a 0% income tax whether that's possible or not in the short term or long term is yet to be seen, but I think those discussions will be ongoing. Uh, we did pass a property tax bill at the end of the last session, and we'll see some uh, more things to curve your property taxes, although property taxes are primarily driven by your school boards, your county administrators, and your city councils, and the legislature has very few levers to pull in regard to property taxes, but we'll try our best, so I think you'll see some more work on that. And there's something we didn't talk about the other day in, in your meeting, but um, um, i like to I'd like to see us work on some certificate of need legislation. Um, certificate of need is when a uh, hospital or a clinic or a practitioner has to wants to open a new practice in Iowa. They have to get a sign-off from a, a state board, which is now appointed by our governor. So it hasn't really been an issue because we have really good people on that board that provides a certificate of needs. But we know the pendulum swings back and forth, and we want to make sure that we want to keep a free market for healthcare in Iowa. And we have a lot of bordering border communities with South Dakota and Nebraska and Illinois that, um, and even on the uh, Northern and Southern border too, where um, we don't want to hinder someone that wants to open up a new medical care facility or bet, more beds and more opportunities for healthcare in rural Iowa. So I think certificate certificate of need is going to be a a push on the, um, health and human services uh, committee this year.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. It looks like your ice balls melting there. (laughs)
1: That's all right. I probably need to water down a little bit.
0: So how, tell me when you're, you're trying to campaign, you know, you're not in session right now, but it seems like you're working very hard all, all year round as a legislator, you know, coming into that, did you realize how much work it was going to be when you weren't in session?
1: No, that's a good question. Um, now running for office and campaigning and knocking doors is a full-time job. And I was out today for a couple hours, knocking doors and grimes today. And I'm working with some school board candidates too, to help knock some doors. But, um, but it really is a full-time job and you only get paid a part-time salary. So it's still kind of tough because I have a business to run too, with my own, my own job. But, um, but even yesterday Friday's my day off, but I, I, uh, I met with the school superintendent from my district and I was up, uh, I was in uh, Woodward Granger high school yesterday and in uh, two different periods of uh, IJAG, which is Iowa in, Iowa's jobs for American grad for Americans graduates. Um, so it's a great program. Uh, former legislator Garrett Gobble um, was there with me. He runs that program and sort of the, he is not running, but he's a legislative liaison for that program. And we met with some um, really uh, industrious high school kids up in Woodward Granger. And so I spent my time doing that um, I Was at the Holocaust rededication the other day. We're at the you know, University of Iowa. We're about to go back into caucus here in the 1st of November to talk about priorities for the next session. So there's a lot of moving parts here in the off season. Um, got a tour of the Des Moines Water Works last couple of weeks ago or week ago. A um, lot of opportunities to learn more about all sorts of organizations and people gearing up for session and trying to pick our brains and, um, set up priorities for the session, but a lot of opportunities to meet with folks and hear what they want us to focus on next year. So yeah, it is a, it is really a full-time job outside of session. There's a lot going on all the time. It's it's hard to balance that with my family and my, my business and my, and my legislative duties too.
0: So how do you, how do you balance that? I mean, you have mathnasium as your business, right?
1: Yeah. It's just trying to, trying to delegate as much as I can, trying to make sure I hire good people. Uh, my wife's back in, my business trying to help me out a bit. My business has kind of gone down as I've campaigned and run for office and been gone for session. My business has kind of gone down a little bit. So, and I'm trying to work to get that back to where I need it to be. Um, well, tell but- us
0: about your business a little bit, because the first meeting you came to, there was somebody in our group whose kids had gone through mathnasium. They basically gave you a testimonial because they went from, they went to like 90 some percent in, in their math classes yeah. from your training.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're a math only learning center, kind of similar to a Sylvan or Huntington, which you might have heard of. Even though we're bigger than both of those now, Mathnasium is a franchise based out of Los Angeles. And when I started back in twenty, I signed a franchise agreement back in twenty ten. We opened in January two thousand eleven, so almost thirteen years ago. Um, So what we do is we we assess kids. Um, There's no risk or obligation to have a kid assessed, and then we. Um, put together a learning plan based on those assessment results, to and we can meet a kid exactly where they're at. So we're not like school where they have to be on the same page or the same textbook. We can meet a kid exactly where they're at through a number sense approach, which really teaches kids math in a way that makes sense to them. And we have a great instructor team that um, they're all math people. It's like a gymnasium; hence, named Mathnasium. So you got if you're a if you're a mathlete, you, you can work out your brain. So we have lots of kids that are really f- ahead in math and kids that are are far behind in math too, but anywhere in the middle. So I just had a call today from another a parent that um, their student was in our program for a couple of years and took a couple of years off and now they're back. They were already a couple grades ahead, but they want to do more math. And so um, we can meet that student right where they're at. We have our own proprietary curriculum and we do help with homework. We don't do homework. So for high school kids, we do help them with their homework. But I say we don't do your homework. It's been a blessing. Um, we're one of the largest centers in the Midwest um, in our seven state region. Um, we are right across from Jordan Creek Mall over there in West Des Moines and the Waukee school district. We have all kinds of kids from everywhere. There are two other math and centers in Des Moines, which are owned now by my friend, um, James from Texas. And so I like to tease people that, you know, I have a, now he's, now he's in the market. I have a buyer for my business. So I'd like to sell it to him someday, but I still have to, make, <laughs> I still have to make money somehow. So besides legislators. So but it's still a passion of mine. I still meet with parents and kids. I was there today. I was in my business this morning. Um, uh, talking to kids and meeting with kids, and that's really my passion. The last, you know, 13 years is just helping kids and, and teaching them math the way that makes sense to them, and see them achieve their goals. And I get the luxury to see that aha moment all the time, and to meet them right where they're at, whether they're behind or or ahead. And it's been really a blessing. You know, I can see that's really where we want. Um, Schools to be too. We want to be able to meet them right where they're at, where we can meet every kid. And I say to parents, you know, we don't do standardized tests. We don't. We don't tell your kid. We don't tell parents. This is where your kids at or grade level your kids. At. I say these are the skills your kids needing to. This is the skill gaps we have. These is the program and the, and the learning plan we have for that student, and we can meet them right where they're at. That's um, the way our program works. We sign up for a monthly membership. Kids come two or three times a week for an hour um, session. We're open six days a week. In the school year, it's Monday through Thursday, and Saturdays and Sunday afternoon too. So it's really flexible. Kids can drop in whenever they want to. Um, we do schedule those visits before COVID. We used to do drop-in enrollment, but with payroll and and things like that. And I got to say that the um, the inflation and the and, and the and the job workforce things that I've seen in my small business have really affected my small business. So I can imagine what it is for other folks that are struggling a little bit. Um, it's been it's been tough being a small business owner these last few years for sure since COVID.
0: How long have you been in the mathnasium business?
1: Yeah, we've been open for thirteen years. Wow. Okay. So we uh, but I signed on the franchise agreement in June of twenty ten. So we've been open since January twenty eleven, and yeah, it's it's been a blessing. So I've seen kids grow up through the through the years, and it's been it's been thirteen years. But I'm a recovering auditor before that. So I was not a teacher, although I did teach for two years in Japan for a couple of years. So I, ha- I have a teaching background. My wife's a teacher. Now she's just starting to substitute teach at Des Moines Christian, and she's enjoying that, too. So
0: you lived in Japan for two years. Yeah, I did. Did you really?
1: I studied abroad for a semester in college, too. So um, I can speak a, a little bit of Japanese. I, I took Japanese in college and in high school, actually, in Urbandale. Yeah, in Say back.
0: something in Japanese for us.
1: Nihongo, uh, <laughs> What's that mean? That means, that means, can you speak Japanese? Um, <laughs> but, uh um, back in the early '90s, when I was in high school, you know, they were, you know, Japan was going to take over the world. It wasn't China, so um, they offered it. And in, in, um, so I was telling the IJ, IJ kids at Wilbur Granger this: the people that are looking for jobs, and I was telling them all the jobs I have when I was in high school, which is detasting corn and slinging burgers at the mall food that, court. I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I did Yeah, I slung burgers at the food court in Wilshire Mall. I worked at Target. That's why my campaign shirts. So I'm I'm a Republican, but I cannot wear red shirts, and I can't have my campaign stuff be red because I cannot wear red because I worked at Target. As right. a, in a high school right. um, over by um, Valley West Mall over there. I so, get it. I
0: worked at a chicken farm <laughs> once and I didn't eat chicken for eight years. <laughs>
1: exactly. So, um, yeah, so I just wanted to um, have an opportunity to go to Japan. There's a program called the JET program. So if you have a college degree, and I had a business degree, but if you have a college degree, you can go over and teach uh, over there in um, high school or middle school. I taught in a, a commercial high school. In Japan, high schools are based on academic level, and so it was a commercial high school. And uh, it was a great opportunity um, just to go travel and to – go live abroad for a couple of years and be immersed in a culture and a language.
0: Uh, my son yeah. spent a couple of weeks there recently and they loved it. They love Japan.
1: Yeah. It's a great culture. It's very safe, very clean. Uh, the people are very kind. I, I really wish I could get my kids back there. It's a little expensive to travel there. And I'm sure now, I don't know what the exchange rate is, but uh, probably a little a little expensive too.
0: Yeah. So you know, what did how did you find the culture? I mean, when you lived there, how old were you?
1: So I was right out of college, so oh, okay. 22, 23. When I studied abroad, I was a junior in college. I was always a year older for my grade, but um, yeah, 22, 23, I was teaching high school. Just a great opportunity. Um, it's funny because back when I was on the school board, that I, I tell this story to somebody, but I had someone talk to me about, um, you know, we had a, uh, forgive the term, but the wo- a, a wokester come in and talk to me about like how, <laughs> uh, you know... You know how we could you know think about being you know a minority. Like well, I, I lived in a culture where I was a minority. I was a minority, and you know if you're if you're if you're not Japanese, you're gaijin. You're a, you're you know that means for that's a foreign person. That's sort of a derogatory term, and so you you're get looked at when you walk down the street. You get looked at. And I was trying to explain to someone a Japanese person one time, like if you walk down the streets of California or, or Iowa or wherever you're at in America, no one would look at you twice. You would just you're just a, we're a melting pot where everyone just they don't judge you on your parents or what nationality you are. But in Japan, you're, if you're a, if you look like me, you get judged uh, right away that you're not Japanese. And so it's really hard to um, assimilate to that culture and to be in that, but it's this really welcoming culture and really kind. And they want to learn more about you and speak English. And um, it's funny cause I, I had two, there's two jet program folks at my high school in the first year I had a, a British guy named Merv that was with me. But the second year I had a, uh, a nice young lady from California. Her name was Courtney. She was half Japanese, half Chinese, and she looked Japanese enough to pass as a Japanese lady. And so when people would come up to us, if we were eating lunch together, they would always talk to her in Japanese. And I spoke a lot better Japanese than she did. <laughs> and so it was always kind of funny to see her um, kind of defer to me to speak uh, Japanese to the folks because people always assume that she was a Japanese person, but she was she was a san francisco bay area um, california girl that didn't speak a like a japanese
0: that's funny yeah wow that's interesting so how did you go from there to where where did you grow up
1: yeah so so right now i live in a little town called urbandale just north of here um and i i grew up in a little town called urbandale as well <laughs> so i'm in my hometown um but uh, I told the story to the... Uh, you grew up in Urbandale? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, in Polk County, about 80 blocks east of where I live now. So, okay. Um, so I never thought I'd be back to Iowa, though. I got out of Iowa as fast as I could. So, um, so I told the story to these high school kids yesterday. So this is kind of a funny... Um, full circle thing but if you want to hear it i if you have time, yeah
0: i've got all night man all right so um, we've got uh, two bottles of whiskey left yeah. here so <laughs>
1: so yeah i grew up in urbandale um went to urbandale high school graduated. i was a Jayhawk. hawk now it's jay slash hawk and i want to go to iowa as fast as i could so i wanted to go to a big college that had a japanese language program and a good business school so i could go to university of iowa now back we just got a tour of, university of iowa in iowa city it's a great town now it's very diverse and very um I'm um, very clean and very great city right now, but back in the nineties, it wasn't that way So I didn't feel like Iowa city was my jam back. then. Isn't that
0: funny how you always want to get away when you're young, but oh, you yeah. always want to come back when you're older.
1: Yeah. Iowa sucks you back in. That's for sure. So, um, so what I did is I went, um, I went to Kansas, University of Kansas. why I said, rock, Chuck Jayhawk at the beginning, they were off today, but, um, yeah, big, uh, big Kansas fan went down to the, um, University of Kansas, which is in Lawrence, Kansas, which is about half an hour from Kansas city. So it's very close to Kansas city. Um, good business school they had a japanese program i wanted to march in the marching band did that played trombone but um yeah i wanted to get out of iowa and i have a twin brother too um, my twin brother he went to iowa state so I, I was always known in high school as one of the gelbach brothers and no one knew my first name and so i wanted to no one knew me as dan so i wanted to be away from my brother and so so i went to kansas and it was a great experience um didn't know anybody there no one from my high school nobody ended up joining a fraternity in my sophomore year, Lambda K Alpha. Made a lot of good friends over the years, got a chance to study abroad, uh study business. And so I went overseas after college for a couple of years and um when I was in Japan, a funny thing happened. Um if you remember um 9/11 2001, something happened. Yeah. And uh that was a very somber day. It was the end of the day for me. And I was a teaching high school at the time and um the world kind of changed that day. And so, um, and then uh, through that, a lot of things, when I came back to the States in 2002, um, a lot of things were different. And some of the jobs that were there before in the accounting industry and the um, sort of the um, uh, consulting industry weren't there. And, you know, I wanted to go be an investment banker in New York City or somewhere. I had no ties anywhere in the world. So it's a long story, but um, my sister-in-law who my brother married, there's a a company called, um, it was, then called the Audit Bureau of Circulations, which audits newspaper and periodical circulations throughout the country. And you can be based anywhere. Well, some folks are based in certain towns like Des Moines had a, a magazine circulation. We send those magazine cards in to sign up for a magazine. They all go to um, Des Moines. Long story short, they needed a newspaper auditor in Northern California. So I said, well, I don't have any, I've never been to California except for LAX airport, but I'll go to California. So I so I lived in Sacramento, California for a year and traveled hundred percent and became a newspaper circulation auditor. And so I tell this story too. Um, so what do you do when you know nobody in Sacramento and you have a per, and you're on a per diem and a hotel allowance and you're in Riverside, California, and you have a weekend? What do you do for the weekend? Well, you don't go back to Sacramento. You go to Vegas, right? <laughs> so, um, well, but my good fraternity brother was living in Las Vegas with his now wife, and they had a and so I spent the weekend there, and they had an extra room there, and I said, well, I could rent this room from you and never be here. So they agreed. So my lease was coming up in Sacramento, and so I decided to. It turns out if you move from Nevada, if you move from California to Nevada, you get an instant ten or twelve percent raise in your paycheck every every month because you're not paying income taxes. You're not paying state income tax, and California has one of the highest state income taxes in the country. And Iowa, luckily, doesn't have that much now because we're going down to three point nine percent. But Nevada has zero percent income tax for a state. So by living in Nevada and being at the near the airport, I just had to be close to an airport. So I, I went over to Nevada and and. Um, and was based out of, out of Las Vegas. And the funny thing happens is you get kind of tired of traveling. Um, I, uh, I met my wife um, who was not a showgirl in Las Vegas. She was a third grade teacher.
0: I was going to ask you how you guys met.
1: Yeah. Well in Las Vegas, if you go out to the clubs and the bars on the strip, you don't meet people from Las Vegas. You meet people from all over the country. So i we met the old fashioned way on the internet. <laughs> which was back in the early days of uh, computer day. There was no there was no iPhones or swipe left or right. There was just um, eHarmony.com is where we met, actually. So um, that's how we had our first date. And I took her to a Japanese restaurant um, to show off my Japanese skills. And I, I asked I, I asked her that question I just asked you. Um, I asked the waitress that question. I said, hey, do you speak Japanese? And, and the waitress responded to me in Japanese, no, she was not. She did not speak Japanese. Or I asked her if she was Japanese, and she said, "No, I'm I'm Korean." But she responded to me in Japanese. But um, I, I guess I guess I impressed my wife uh, uh well enough to um get a second date, and um and the rest is history, I guess. But uh, so she was a third grade teacher from where? So she was living in Las Vegas at the time, but oh, she, she was living there. Okay. Yeah, she's from Las Vegas. She was living in Las Vegas at the time, originally from Texas, uh, was where she went to high school and and graduated. Went to Texas Lutheran University went to uh she taught in the San Antonio just uh, San Antonio school District but um, back in the early 2000s they were trying to recruit teachers out to Las Vegas as a growing school district my wife's mother passed away when she was in college so she had a, her second mother her aunt uh, was in Las Vegas and so she wanted to be closer to her aunt in Las Vegas and so she had moved to Las Vegas the year before so she got on the internet too this is before they had digital cameras I mean digital cameras were a new thing she had to figure out how to get a picture on the internet and all that kind of stuff but um but we met and um, we decided to we wanted to raise a family and I said you know what Iowa seems like a great place to to raise a family. My mom and my dad were still here. My step my stepdad and my stepmom were here. So my wife's aunt that she had moved there for was going to be going back to Petaluma, California and Montana and kind of getting out of Las Vegas. So we're like, well, let's we have a support network in Iowa, so let's let's move back to Iowa. And it turns out that um, the cost of living here in Iowa is very good, and so the kind of house you can buy. And we were right at the top of the market back in 06. If you remember, we cashed out of the oh, yeah. Vegas housing market at the right at the peak time and, and put a bunch of equity uh, into a house here in, in Urbandale that we had no business buying at the time, but uh, no kids, you know, newlyweds in our twenties or late twenties, like buying a house in Urbandale, Iowa, 80 blocks west of where I grew up. Now we have two daughters, a 15 year old and a 13 year old daughter. And um, yeah, the kind of rest is history and we love Iowa. So it's, I just got to say that with the, with the way we didn't, you know, with COVID was a really struggle for our business, but the way the governor and the, and the state legislature set up things to let us be open and let us do the things we wanted to do, um, not lock us down. Like we, some other States, it was just been a blessing that, you know, in the the business climate and the, and the, the economy has been really good here in Iowa. And, um, my one big thing is trying to find employees. Now that's the big thing I have an issue with.
0: Why is that such a challenge?
1: Yeah. I think this folks just don't want to work anymore. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of people that are good at math coming to Drake University because we have a great insurance industry here in Des Moines. And they have a great actuary scientist program, so actuaries, um, really good math people, want to come here to Iowa. And so before, I could I could post a job posting on the Drake job board and get instantly get, you know, a dozen candidates to interview. But it seems like since COVID, there's sort of this been mentality where we, you know, we don't want to work, so it's been tough to find quality people to work. I told the kids at IJ and uh, Woodward Granger yesterday. I told this to my daughter. My daughter works at, um, she's 15. She works at Smoothie King in Walk Or not Smoothie King, sorry. Tropical Smoothie Cafe. Yeah, she blessed me on that. Uh, I love um, that place. Yeah, Tropical Smoothie Cafe in Walkie. Oh, and, uh,
0: man, they have great uh, flatbread. Yeah, the flatbread. Yeah, and and they, have, they have great smoothies, and the smoothies
1: too. And smoothies, yeah. So my daughter works there. And it turns out, if you if you show up on time, if you have a good work ethic, like if you're a good Iowan, like I always think of Iowans a good work ethic, you're friendly, you have a, you, know, you have a certain mentality, but it seems like kids today don't want to work hard. They just want to, you know, punch a clock. They want to show up late. You they don't know?
0: Want to... Yeah. I had my kids scrapping drywall when they were little. <laughs> I actually, I had this trailer. That, I built Charles. sides on it. And, no, they wanted to work. I'm, I'm, they, I'm wanted, they wanted to work. And, uh, <laughs> uh they were scrapping drywall and, and laying pla- paper on the floor. And I taught my sons how to prime awesome. houses and, they're all workers. And my daughter, she's 15 as well. She works for Marriott advisor solutions and she goes in and does cleaning and, and whatever else they want her to do, you know, just to make some extra money. And I had kids, they worked at Jimmy John's, you know?
1: Yeah. If you have that work ethic and you try and you, it doesn't matter what you do. I've you know a lot of people, they were asking me, were, well, how do you get ahead? And you just gotta be a hard worker and show yep. up on time and, and, and say yes to things and try to get involved in lots of things. And if you're a hard worker, uh, good things will happen. You'll get raises, you'll get asked to do more, and you'll be ahead of 99% of the other kids around because those kids just are are lazy schmucks that want to sit on their couch and play video games all day. So we got to get these kids out and, and work and experience the world and, and build relationships.
0: That work ethic is so important. You know, my sons, uh, they both had jobs before they graduated as software engineers, you know, but and they both got... Sc- presidential scholarships stem scholarships everything else and and it really just came from that idea that working hard is good yeah it'll you know everything will work out if you if you just put the work in and they've done that too
1: yeah absolutely yeah that's my advice any any kid that wants to get ahead I mean it's all about relationships no matter what business you want to go into whatever job you're in just Try new experiences and work hard and have that work ethic that, um, I think we've kind of lost that since COVID.
0: Yeah, I think so too. So what did, um, what precipitated you to run for the school board in Waukee? Is that, is that where the politics started or what, was there anything before that?
1: Yeah. I never really thought of myself as a politician or wanted to run for office. I thought maybe 20, 30 years from now when I'm retirement age, I would, um, you know, do something political, but I've always been political. And, um, I think I was telling my wife and my, and my school newspaper, I think my, my twin brother got elected to be the most likely to be a newscaster because he was on the morning announcements every day. And he actually is a newscaster. He, he's a reporter for WSB in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, he's doing really well for himself, but, um, I was elected, I think most likely to, um, replace Rush Limbaugh. I was that.
0: <laughs> but because uh, I used to, I used to awesome. wear a
1: Rush for President shirt and <laughs> debate my high school government teacher uh, back in the 90s um, about politics. But I never really saw myself in politics. Just in being involved in the community and being involved in my business and um, being involved on in the Waukee, doing the Waukee Leadership Institute or the Western Leadership Institute and being on the Waukee Chamber Board and being on the Waukee Community School District Board, being involved in my church, being involved in the schools, just thought. Um, you know, I would throw my hat in to be on the school board. So I, I lost my election in 2015, the first time I ran for school board. But in 2017, I didn't run. But in 2019, Waukee went through a, a period where they got state audit report, where there was some um, reported or potential misappropriations of funding. We had a, a superintendent resign, and then another superintendent um, get replaced, and there was some some things in the media that weren't quite wholesome. And so I thought with my background in auditing and numbers and math, that I could lend that to uh, the Waukee school board. And I was just involved in the community. I thought this is where I wanted to serve. Um, I always wanted to serve my community. I had taught Sunday school. I had volunteered at church. I had been on the chamber board. I had done all these things. And I thought the, the school board just was the next logical place, being an education space, talking to teachers and being involved Um, so that's why I decided to run in 2019 and did get elected, um, to the school board four years ago, almost four years ago. My, my, I would be up for re-election this year if I had stayed on, but, um, but after the election in 2021, where the, some of the compatriots that I wanted to have elected to the board, no offense to the folks that did get elected. They're great people. Um, we just don't agree on all things, uh, policy wise, the direction of the board just went in a direction I wasn't uh, really comfortable with. And so I decided to to have my kids enroll in Des Moines Christian because I saw some things in the schools that I wasn't really comfortable with. So in 2021, uh, we decided that for the next school year, the 2022 school year, that my kids would be at Des Moines Christian, be on a public school board and move my kids to Des Moines Christian. I didn't really like, sit well, so I, n- I knew I wasn't going to run again for the school board this year. So I thought I'd just fade into the sunset and you know, just focus on my business and be involved in my church and other places. But um, you know sometimes God has different plans for you than you have planned for yourself with the redistricting last year and having their lines be redrawn, uh, Eddie Andrews who had Johnson and Grimes, uh, didn't want to move to Grimes. And so he just has Johnston now and Carter Nordman, uh, he moved out West. So they left the position open, um, in my current house district. And that's why I decided to run for the house uh, last year. And, um, you know, it's just been a blessing. Um, it's been really great process and it is really like drinking from a fire hose but it's been great and building relationships with folks and like now i now i feel my second year i know what's going on a little bit more so i can get the ground running a little bit um well for not knowing
0: what was going on you did a heck of a job last year
1: Oh, thank you i appreciate i mean you were right
0: in the middle of all the legislation and moving that forward
1: yeah it's it's it's, it was really great we had 30 out of the 100 new member 100 member uh, house representatives there was 30 36 39 uh, somewhere in there new members but in our caucus in the house we had 64 we have 64 republicans serving in the house and uh, i think it's something like um 20 20 some of them. i can't remember the number but uh quite a few re- freshman uh, representatives just because redistricting and um, a lot of things happen so um a lot of new faces in the iowa legislature this, this last year yeah. so it'll be great to get back i know i got to see a lot of my a lot of my friends and my federal legislators in Iowa city a couple of weeks ago, but it'd be good to see cock and caucus here. And then you know, hit the ground running here in January when we start back up, um, for the second year of our general assembly here. And
0: did you say uh Carter was, was this last year, his second year or his third? Second term. So second term.
1: So Chris Hagenow um, was a former majority leader. He was my representative. So he did not run in 2020. And so Carter Nordman ran in 2020. So Carter Norman was the youngest legislator and, um, but he actually ran against another young, young person back in 2020. And the election 2020, if you remember, was sort of a weird election that was during COVID and the Democrats weren't knocking doors and it was just kind of a weird cycle. But, um, but Carter won and, um, he's a great legislator and a great mentor for me. He got, um, he was on Fox news and, um, for getting the uh, pledge of allegiance bill passed through the <laughs> yeah, house. Um, yeah. and that's where his Clutter claim to fame where he, um, he all Iowa schools weren't required to um, say the Pledge of Allegiance, so he ran that bill to the Iowa House and um, championed that bill and ran it to the House to get every school to require to say the Pledge of Allegiance every year. Offer it.
0: So you know, Carter said he had never said it, he, and he went to Adel. I, as a parent, I didn't know that there were schools that weren't saying the Pledge of Allegiance back before Carter had that bill passed.
1: I would say, you know, I don't remember ever saying the president pledge of allegiance in urbandale school even in, really? even in the 90s i grew up in winter
0: set and we always said it at the beginning of class
1: yeah i guess yeah i don't remember saying it. maybe we did but i don't remember and especially in high school we never said yeah. it. yeah yeah this is in the early 90s
0: yeah that's interesting so that's yeah that was an eye-opener and you know the guys at our meeting they were very impressed with carter i was impressed with carter 25 i mean just so well put together solid solid young guy
1: yeah. And, uh, it's funny cause he, he, he ran for mayor of Adele back in the, when he was just at college, just in college, actually, as a, you know, he's a seasoned veteran of politics and he's only <laughs> 25. I've, uh, that, I have like, I call him a kid, but he's not, he's a mentor of mine and he's just wise beyond his years. And, um, he's been a great friend and mentor, even though, uh, he's only 25. Um, yeah. Kind of makes me yeah. feel old. Um, cause I feel old now because I'm, I'm older than my uh, my congressman, so I'm older than Zach Nott, and I'm older than Ron DeSantis actually by a year too. So I feel a little who um, I've endorsed for president, but that's another. Yeah, secret. that's right. But, uh,
0: you endorsed Ron DeSantis, <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah, he. Um, so I feel a little old now, but uh, I don't. I don't feel old, but uh, I'm getting some gray hairs, I guess. My d- my daughter driving to school that's that's the one thing that makes me feel old as. Is, is, and is she's driving.
0: 15, right?
1: Yeah, about to turn 16 here in a couple
0: months. And you have one daughter. Two daughters, two daughters.
1: Yeah, fifteen and thirteen. So oh, seventh 13. grader and yeah. a, a sophomore.
0: Do they get along? Most of the time. Okay. Yeah, I just um, remember my daughters fighting like cats and dogs when they were younger.
1: <laughs> yeah, high schoolers and middle schoolers don't tend to mix really well, but um they get along pretty well. And and because they both go to Des Moines Christian, um, my my older daughter has a school permit, so she gets to drive her sister to school every day. So that's that's actually been a good thing from frees up some time for my wife, who was her chauffeur. But um, I really wish, um, you know, in the Iowa House last year, we got out of the education committee, but never went beyond that. But we had a bill to um, expand the school permit to allow kids to drive, if they're on a school permit, to work as well. Yeah,
0: that's that makes sense.
1: And that really would have been a blessing right now for my family, I can tell you that. Um,
0: Why didn't that make it out of – did you say it didn't make it out of subcommittee or committee? It made, it out, committee?
1: Of commi- it made it out of our committee, but it didn't make it to the floor. I think there's – because if you think about – and Waukee and Clive and Urbano, where we're at right now, it makes sense. Because if you're going to drive three miles or five miles to high school or Northwest yeah. High School or to Dwayne Christian, why can't you drive you know 0.2 miles or three miles to go to your part-time job? But in a lot of rural school districts, it's up to 50 miles max. And so I think the, the hesitation is to have kids drive to work. Up to fifty miles. Um, oh, up a, to
0: fifty uh, miles.
1: Yeah, because in some in some rural school districts, you have kids on school permits that can drive, you know, thirty forty miles to school. If we did the same same parameters for a school permit to drive to work, you could potentially have kids driving thirty forty miles to a school. I or wonder to a work th- of situations so that that's must, that's the situation I think that 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 must have
0: changed because when I was a kid, when I was fifteen, I had a work permit. I worked at Hardee's, and I drove like four miles, you know from south of Winterset to Hardee's to work
1: on a school permit I thought it was a I thought it was I thought I had a work permit uh, maybe that was a different thing but on a school permit you can only drive to school you can't really drive to a work or a, maybe I wasn't driving or even to like a, even a math learning center after school which I've had, some, <laughs> I've had some kids tell me they drive on the school permit to my center but I wouldn't I won't out those kids but uh, <laughs> it's their parents that allow them to do it not me so um right I, right I won't out them but um but they're going around. If you're going to drive, you know, a few miles to school, you might as well be able to drive a few miles to work. And we did pass a bill last session to um, expand the work uh, parameters for kids. And so, for example, my daughter's not 16 yet; she's 15 and a half, but she can work until 9 p.m. now on a school night rather than just um, 7 p.m. So now is that di- that is old.
0: that different than the federal law?
1: The federal law is overarching. I don't know if it. It Doesn't restrict the hours, I believe. But um, the Iowa law before was you could had to work and you could only work on a school night till seven o'clock if you weren't 16 yet.
0: So you can only work till nine. Now you can work
1: till nine. Yeah. But the thing about I, it is a lot of kids. Was that
0: on a school night or a school night? Yeah. But on the and weekend, you can weekend, work later. Weekend,
1: summer, you could work later. Yeah.
0: That's interesting.
1: But a lot of kids are in activities. They're in show choir or sports or they're, uh, they're soccer practice till 9 30. Yeah. yeah so o'clock. nine o'clock made sense. Um, another thing that bill that got a lot of um, ink from our newspapers and time on television was the um, for 16 and 17 year olds, if they have permission from a parent and they're working in a primarily restaurant environment that's not a bar, which is mostly a restaurant, they can serve alcohol, um, which means they can deliver a drink f- from a bar to a table if they're 16 or 17 with permission. Uh, before that, before the law passed, it was just you had to be 18 years old.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. I I don't think they're going to be drinking the the drink on the way to the table. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think we're coming up on an hour here, Dan. That was quick. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I, uh, you know, this wasn't prepared at all.
1: Yeah, you kind of suckered me into this. I just I, I show up to grab some equipment and uh, I get sucked into a podcast. But yeah, I'm like, fun. hey, you want to do a
0: podcast? Hey, Why not? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Dan. And thanks for everything you do for the state. Um, please support Dan. How can they, if somebody wants to enroll in mathnasium, how can they find that?
1: Yeah. Just go to mathnasium.com backslash West Des Moines. And you can just give it a goog, I say, you know, to the kids uh, these days. <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that, is that relevant terminology or yeah, do they yeah. cross their eyes at you and no, roll I'm, their eyes? Probably. Yeah.
1: Just you can Google <laughs> it. Uh, it says mathnasium, uh, backslash West Des Moines. We're out right by Jordan Creek. Um, uh, for the campaign we're doing a big event on tuesday night at food depot and grimes starts at 5 30 um you can go out to my i have a website i don't keep it up to date that much but dan for but if you go to facebook that's where i keep most of my updates on what i've been doing so uh, facebook.com backslash dan the number four iowa um you can find me on facebook that's probably the best way to keep uh, in touch with uh, the events and what i've been doing day to day and keeping up with um appearances i've been making on far as um legislative stuff goes and then um we'll be back in session here in a bit and i'll have a newsletter sign up for my newsletter there's a link on my website you can find it on facebook and click on that um link and you can go right to my newsletter and sign up to subscribe to my newsletter that'd be a great way to keep in touch with me and to out what's going on. i'll put that
0: in the description that's a great newsletter yeah dan does a good job updating everybody
1: news from the front row just i had a new one last yeah so i sit on the front row so it's called news from the front row all
0: right all right thanks brother Yeah, God bless you, man.